0: This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Propax with N.T. Factor, a complete vitamin and mineral formula. N.T. Factor is the only nutritional formula clinically proven to reduce fatigue, whatever the cause, whether it be age, illness, or just being run down. N.T. Factor repairs damaged cells, restores healthy bacteria in your digestive tract. Clinical trials have shown N.T. Factor reduces fatigue by almost half, and it even reverses some symptoms of aging. I've been taking NT Factor for years, and now the 45-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. To order, call 800-982-9158, that's 800-982-9158, or go to ntfactor.com, that's ntfactor.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hobman, and today we're going to talk about uh, grassroots action because, uh, well, when moms mobilize for whatever cause, uh, they can constitute a very, very powerful force because, uh, well, they're really at the core of uh, family values. Uh, They have their eye on uh, kids' health. And uh, they have a vision for a healthier world. Today, we're going to talk to uh, the founder of Moms Across America. Moms Across America uh, is a an organization, a, a powerhouse national coalition of moms, reaching as many as 4 million plus on social media each month, who are dedicated to ensuring that the food we eat and feed our families is safe, with an emphasis on, Eliminating GMOs and glyphosate, that, of course, the key ingredient in Roundup, uh, which, um, you know, there's mounting evidence of its toxicity and uh, more and more uh, government a- entities uh, are pushing back against uh, the use of glyphosate. And, of course, we need uh, mobilization uh, here in the states about this uh, potential hazard and others. So, uh without further ado, here's uh, Zen Honeycutt. Zen, it's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Ronald, and thanks to all, all of your listeners for being with us today. I appreciate it so much.
0: Okay, well, tell us a little bit about how you uh, got uh in, engaged by this uh, cause. Uh, you know, you, you started out as uh, a mom, you know, with ordinary concerns about your family. Uh, but then you made it into uh a movement.
1: Yes. Well, and that was not my intention. I have to say before I got uh, involved in the food movement, I thought activists were fussy and had too much time on their hands and would probably smell too much like patchouli. So I just avoided them. And it was I was really not interested in being an activist. I was a stay at home mom. I was an entrepreneur of a natural wellness company. Before that, I was a fashion designer. So I had absolutely no experience with, um, you know, nonprofits, save for maybe an email from the Sierra Club now and then. Uh, but I really didn't. I I really didn't uh, think that it was in my, you know, realm of whatever 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 happened in my life to be involved and get be an activist. Um, but then my children started to get very sick, and it started out with a food allergy with my son when he was a baby. To milk, uh, which was, you know, very sad for me because I had to not consume any dairy or cheese or, you know, pizza for a year when I was breastfeeding him.
0: So so that's of interest because it it wasn't as if feeding him directly uh, cow's milk formula. You in nursing him had to avoid uh, dairy because you were imparting dairy proteins to him through your breast milk.
1: Sure. Yes. And his poo was very green and, and, and unusual looking and he was crying a, a awful lot. It was just terrible to get him to sleep. His stomach was clearly in pain and So we finally figured that out after a few months. I'm just curious, how
0: long did it, uh, how much detective work did it take for you to determine uh, that it was the dairy you were consuming that was causing him his problems? And how much support did you get from uh, the pediatric community in terms of identifying that?
1: It took quite some time, I would have to say. I, I don't think we found out until he was about, um, Maybe close to 18 months, close to the end of the time when I was breastfeeding him, mm-hmm. because I breastfed him for almost two years. So it was, you know, it was quite some time. So maybe a little bit earlier than that. Maybe, so, so maybe there should around be a greater year.
0: awareness of that uh, potential, but, you know, obviously that information was scarce. Uh, it was hard yes. to come by. Yeah.
1: They did, they did not, my pediatrician did not think that the food that I was eating could impact my baby in any way. They really, she just really didn't advise that at first. And I, when I started looking around on, you know, I talked to mom, I was a part of the mom's club and different moms groups. Mm-hmm. We started talking about, uh, our children having allergies and maybe it was dairy or wheat, you know, different people had different theories. And so I started to look into that and eventually took my son to an allergist and he tested him and sit and saw that he did in fact have uh, a milk allergy but keep in mind this was to conventional milk. I wasn't right. drinking organic milk and uh or organic cheese back then. You know, I ate pretty healthy. We didn't mm-hmm. I didn't have candy bars hanging around the house and so- we didn't drink soda. You know, we we ate what I thought was pretty healthy, but we were not eating organic and I was completely unaware of GMOs or any type of ca- chemicals in the food supply. Mm-hmm. So I had to eliminate milk from my diet. And then later about round, when he was around 18 months, my mother fed him a walnut, but he was also petting the dog. So we didn't know if his rash mm-hmm. came from the nuts or the dog, but we eventually took him to a theologist again and he tested him. It was, he did skin pin pinpricks, which are horrifying for
0: mm-hmm.
1: a, a parent and the child. He had all of these, you know, pinpricks all over his back and his arms and did see that he was allergic to nuts. Mm-hmm. So. We we then got the EpiPen and started carrying that around with us. And when he was about five years old, it was Thanksgiving evening and we were eating, um, you know, a wonderful meal at, at my in-law's house. And suddenly he looked at me and he, he looked very sick. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, no, he's got like the flu or something. So, I sent him to the back room to go lay down, and then a, cu- a f- couple minutes after that, he cried out. And so, mm-hmm. my husband and I ran to him, and we saw him standing up crying, and his whole body was swelling up. And he, he mm-hmm. was like he, had, like, he looked like a raspberry, like bumps, mm-hmm. like a raspberry on his body.
0: So, he had an anaphylactic reaction, obviously.
1: Yeah. So, we immediately gave him, my, my husband jammed the EpiPen into his leg and he couldn't get it out and so i had to pull it out and it spurt blood across the room and everybody was screaming it was it was terrifying um and we just didn't we didn't even think about calling the ambulance we just ran to the car Mm -hmm. and and got in the car and went to the hospital Mm -hmm. in the car in the back seat his eyes were rolling back in his head and i thought he was gonna die Mm. so i was pushing on his chest and like you know begging him to breathe and i don't know if that kept him alive or not but he lived through that, you know. Of course, they pumped his body filled with uh, with steroids, mm-hmm. which I later found out can impact eyesight, mm-hmm. which he, his eyesight has been impacted. Mm. Um, but anyway, you know, better than not to die, right? Mm-hmm. But his yep. his eyesight was impacted, and and so since then we decided to just really avoid nuts, right? We we were resigned and doubtful that anybody anything could change. We just had to stay away from nuts and mm-hmm. be, be aware of the, the, the food supply. Um, and then one day, I realized that that just wasn't normal. Like that, why could my son eat a hot dog one day, but not the next? Why could he eat ice cream one day, but not the, you know, what was going mm-hmm. on It might not just be him, it might be what's going on with the food. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I began to research the food supply. I, I found uh, Robin O'Brien's TED Talk patriotism on a plate, and watched Jeffrey Smith's movie genetic roulette. And I put one and two together, and realize: wait a second, these GMOs are are foreign proteins that are in the food supply that our government has not been telling us about.
0: And so, so the common denominator is not per se that uh, you know nuts are bad food for kids or you know dairy is a you know a potential uh, you know pathogen for for children. It's something has altered the way that kids' immune systems respond to common foods that should be well tolerated. I mean, you know, I, I'm probably a few years senior to you. And, uh, you know, I got to say, when I was a kid, there were no such things as, you know, cupcake-free zones, uh, nut-free zones. Yes. Uh, you know, we all, you know, our moms bake, you know, stuff for bake sales. And you know, there weren't big concerns about, you know, what you know, reading elaborate ingredient lists. Uh, it was the rare kid who had some sort of allergy. Uh, things have changed in the, you know, 60 years since I was a child.
1: Yes, absolutely. And when I was a child, too, I mean, I'm 46 now. So, it you know, when I was a child, GMOs did not exist. They were not in the food supply. Roundup has only been used for the past 40 years in the food supply, and most immediately in the past 10 or 20 in the past 10 years over 70% of roundup which is a glyphosate based herbicide has over 70% of what has ever been used has been used in the past 10 years mm-hmm. so an enormous amount of glyphosate based herbicides of which 80 80% of gmos are engineered to withstand these particular herbicides right so these herbicides are sprayed directly on genetically modified foods and during their growth and it kills the weeds around them but not the crop so, this started happening about 20 years ago, and then about 10 years ago, they got this idea to spray the crops, and and this may include non-GMO crops if if they're not organic, like wheat, peas, beans, legumes, oats, to spray them with glyphosate-based herbicides as a drying agent before harvest so mm-hmm. that they can be dried more uniformly and harvested more quickly and efficiently. And so that's been happening. So they really saturate
0: these crops with uh, glyphosate. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and it's important to note that they don't wash off and they don't, don't dry off. And so this is what was happening to the food supply, unbeknownst to mothers like me, struggling with children with allergies, autism symptoms, autoimmune issues, asthma, not knowing what the heck is going on, blaming ourselves. Uh, most of, uh, uh, of us mothers too had, had weight issues. I used to be a size 12. Now I'm a size uh, two or a four. Um, fatigue, mental, you know, uh, uh, mental disorders like you know, early onset dementia. I mean, I didn't have this, but many people um, have that now. Uh, you know, memory loss, all kinds of irritability and anxiety and depression. Right. So these these are all connected to the destruction of our gut bacteria, which is. Impacted by glyphosate it being in practically every bite of our food if you're eating conventional food in America today.
0: And, and so, that, so like, that, uh, uh, let's uh, expand a little on that concept <laughs> is, you know, the microbiome is thought to be very important in terms of regulating our immune systems. And, you know, because we take too many antibiotics or take too much, uh, chlorinated or fluoridated water, we seem to be disrupting our microbiome, perhaps also with acid-blocking medications. But what about glyphosate? Glyphosate is uh, an herbicide. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's designed to kill uh, weeds. So is it conceivable that the glyphosate residues on food uh, may be changing uh, the character of the microbiome. It's an herbicide, after all. Are there potential effects on the, you know, trillions of bacteria that populate our intestinal tracts?
1: Well, yes, it's been scientifically proven to do that. That's what the science has shown, is that glyphosate destroys the beneficial gut bacteria. It actually targets the beneficial gut bacteria and allows for the proliferation of the pathogenic gut bacteria, such as E. Col- coli and salmonella. And E. coli, uh, is responsible for 90% of the UTIs, urinary tract infections that are happening.
0: Which are so prevalent now. Yeah.
1: Which are so prevalent now. And I, and I have to say personally, I'm affected by this immediately right now because, um, I, I had some. Chicken and chicken is in the headlines right now because Costco is selling four dollars and ninety nine cents chickens, right? And right. CNN has picked up that story. So take a look at look on uh, CNN it's, for it's that a, story. It's the
0: loss leader that brings people in the store to buy other more yeah. expensive items, you know. But it's like you got to yeah. you got to score that four dollar chicken because it's such a deal.
1: Yeah, it's such a deal. So the problem is is that chicken, according to Mercola, is responsible for the majo- majority of the UTIs, and this is because it harbors a particular E. coli. Bacteria now, I would assert that this is connected to the high levels of glyphosate that chickens eat on their chicken feed We have a moms across America supporter who told me that her husband who's a trucker had to get a special hazmat license Just to transport chicken feed because it has such high levels Mm. of toxins and that would include roundup you know glyphosate spraying on the grains and arsenic Mm. so so, uh, to extend this story, so I ate some check in while I was traveling. I travel quite a bit, right, to speak about GMOs and toxins, which, of course, are, are Bear's. Um, Bear now owns Monsanto, right, the primary manufacturer right. of glyphosate. So, Bear is responsible for for the majority of the glyphosate in the world. Uh, being used, and they're
0: also responsible for a lot of liability because of all the lawsuits and uh, <laughs> the yes, multi-million dollar, uh, exactly right uh... judgments so, against Bayer. You know, it's kind of they thought, oh, you know, we'll just acquire this, uh, you know, Monsanto. Yeah, <laughs> gave Bayer you unfortunately a little bit Bayer of a headache. Eat. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, so I eat some chicken when I'm traveling, right? Conventional chicken. Against my better judgment, I was very hungry, and I was at an airport, and that was like what seemed like the safest thing to eat was a chicken Caesar salad. And um, and and I get a UTI, surprise, surprise, and it, it's reoccurring. I mean, just for weeks, this would n- it would not go away, and no matter what the different type of natural remedies I used, which I used everything I could ch- find. So one day I just I had to. I just went to a walk-in clinic, and they prescribed a antibiotic, and the oh. antibiotic happens to be cipro, which oh, is wow. fluoroquinine yeah.
0: from bear. There we go. Yeah.
1: Right from there, which leads to what I currently have right now, which is a torn tendon in my shoulder.
0: Oh, I was just going to, I just, you know, I have to say that uh, I was at a party uh, recently. It was actually the, you know, my, my granddaughter's uh, birthday party and, you know, there are a bunch of, you know, younger kids there. And there was this gal, uh, who was walking around with a limp and she had a bandage on her, uh, on her calf. And, um, I said, "What's going on?" She says, "Why well, tore my Achilles tendon?" And I said, "Oh, mm-hmm. did you by any chance take an antibiotic called Cipro? Did you have a urinary tract infection?" And she yep. looked at me like I was like I was a seer, you know, like I was, <laughs> psychic. You are know, like yeah. she said, "Oh my goodness!" And uh, so, and then she told you know, she told my daughter, "Oh, I'm so impressed with your with your dad. He's." <laughs> he's so brilliant you know that I deduced that she'd but precisely this you know that story just keeps coming up again and again and again with the antibiotic cipro so yeah but it's connected
1: to the food supply which I want people to know there's there is an impact of this confined animal factory feeding uh, operations which are you know these chickens that are thousands of them in cages they they are they are administered antibiotics because they are there are so many of them in such a confined space that they get diseases, and those antibiotics mm-hmm. increase the virulence, you know, the right. the strength
0: I think of giving antibiotics bacteria. in their drinking water virtually, you know, just as a as a prophylactic to prevent yeah,
1: infections. oh yeah, yeah, because yeah. the
0: conditions they they that they're crammed into uh, are highly uh, supportive of you know infections and early mortality for those chickens. So, you know, when you want to avoid the losses, keep those profits coming. So you put antibiotics into the, into the water.
1: Yeah. So best to avoid that. Eat organic as much as possible and bring your food with you. Don't do what I did. Yeah. (laughs) And bring as much food as you can with you when you travel.
0: A critical lapse. So you're uh, you're taking uh, this message out on the road uh, with moms across America, but also across the world. I mean, you're traveling uh, to, uh, you know, all parts of the globe uh, to establish uh, grassroots movements in, in various countries. Tell us about your work there.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, my book was just published. Uh, it's called Unstoppable: Transforming Sickness and Struggle into Triumph, Empowerment, and a Celebration of Community. And it's on on Amazon here in the United States in English, and it's now in Japan, published there. Um, and it came out a couple of weeks ago, and I will be going to Japan in the first couple of weeks of December and doing a nine-city tour. So I'm very excited to get the word out there because Japan happens to own the largest grain distribution center in the world. And it's based in New Orleans or outside of New Orleans in in Louisiana. And they ship out, I believe it's about 300 million tons of, of grains and the predominantly GMO grains. And they're shipped to China, Japan, uh, Taiwan, Korea, you know, and and most of Southeast Asia. So if we could convince the Japanese government to you know, stop buying GMOs grains and buy regenerative organic or, you know, regeneratively grown organic grains instead that could transform the food industry alone right there. I mean, that would be such a huge switch for the, the growers and for the um, state of our soil here in the United States mm-hmm. and our water and the families that live around those farms, uh, that that would make a huge difference. There was a study that came out just this past year in Indiana of seventy-one pregnant women that were studied, and the ones that were exposed to glyphosate-based herbicides uh, due to the heavy spraying on the GMO crops near their homes were the ones that had statistically higher or significantly higher numbers of preterm gestations. You know, mm-hmm. shortened gestations, which mm-hmm. means which can mean miscarriages, not just. You know, a baby born but, early
0: but obviously heighten the risk for health problems in preemies. I mean, they're notorious for having uh, more allergic problems, more respiratory yes. problems, more cognitive problems,
1: developmental because, delays. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so we know that the the growing of GMO grains here in the United States um, is is not just you know not good for you know Japan and China and the animals that are eating those grains over there and for the consumers there to be eating them, but it's not good for the the residents and the people of America here, you know, that those chemicals go into our water supply, they go into our rain, uh, the soil, and um, also contribute to climate change, because when the soil is depleted of vital minerals, uh, it cannot absorb water as much as it's supposed to, and it cannot absorb carbon, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, incredibly important to to draw down in the air.
0: The natural cycling, which uh, keeps the planet in balance, is disrupted...
1: Yes, absolutely. Buy GMO monocrop cultures, which, which is what the, the manufacturers say that GMO crops are more sustainable because they don't have to till. Now, tilling is, is not great, but there are ways to farm without tilling and without toxic chemicals. And that's called regenerative organic agriculture. And the Japanese have actually, they were doing this thousands of years ago. You know, just, you use mm-hmm. cover crops and things like that. But, um, in the U.S. now, it's a new movement. We're very excited about it and our, and our new standard, our Moms Across America Gold Standard, actually supports regenerative agriculture. So we can talk more about that, too, I'm sure.
0: Great. Okay, well, let's pause because uh, at this point uh, we divide our podcast into two parts. In part two, uh, we're going to talk more about uh, Moms Across America, what the initiative is all about, uh, and how uh, you, uh, Intelligent Medicine listener, can get involved in this uh, important work. Uh, we're talking to Zen Honeycut who is a co-founder of Moms Across America. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.